Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. If you would please open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 3. This is God's Word. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming down to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness." Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. John the Baptist is, uh, shall we say, an unusual fellow. Um, He was even in his day. Now, I mean, if this was today, we're not supposed to notice differences. But, um, But in his day, people noticed that John 
was not your uh, normal run-of-the-mill individual. He wasn't even a typical prophet. He was um, eccentric. He's living out in the desert, okay? Hence, not a good place for growing crops. Um, and, And he was living off bugs and honey. And he dressed weirdly. So the people noticed this guy as being strange. But that's not why he's famous. If that was, if that was all the data about him, uh, you know, maybe a couple of sentences and that's it. But no, John the Baptist is a pivotal character. He was the fulfillment of prophecy hundreds of years earlier through Isaiah saying that God was going to send a messenger ahead of Messiah to prepare the way for Messiah. John's that guy. Now, that makes John hugely important. But it also tells us that God has an interesting way of doing things. Because if I was picking someone to be the advance man for my son, who is going to be the king, I would never have designed him like John the Baptist. You understand? If you go to John's Gospel and you read, I believe it's in John's Gospel and maybe Luke, I obviously didn't check. But if you go to one of the other Gospels where John is introduced, it describes all the significant people at the time, all the politicians, all the religious leaders, and it lists them and where they were, and then it says, and the word of God came to John out in the desert. I love that. God chooses unlikely people to do his work. Well, my goal for my children is just that they would be well-rounded. Most of us want kids to grow up to be well-rounded in terms of their interests and abilities and training and so forth. But if you look at history, most of the great accomplishments were done by lopsided people. It's true, okay? And if you look at church history, most of the people that God used in some sort of remarkable way from our perspective were lopsided people. They were people that we would not necessarily want our kids to grow up to be like. You know? I mean, because we want our children to be popular and happy. And and isn't that what matters? No, that doesn't matter at all. The broad way leads to destruction. And so a lot of parents are trying desperately to knock off stuff that actually may belong and to bolster stuff that maybe is just going to get in the way, instead of being concerned that our one great passion for our children should be that they would love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength and love their neighbor as themselves. I mean, is what we really want that our kids just be passionately in love with Jesus and ready to do whatever he says? Or are we thinking, well, I want them to be religious, but not too religious? I'm just telling you, as someone who pastored in traditional churches for a dozen years, there are a lot of people who consider themselves Bible-believing Christians, and if their kids get too excited about Jesus, they get nervous. 
Now, what, what is your aspiration? What do you want? Not just for your kids, grandkids. What do you want for your own life? Do you want to be a normal person who dresses normally and eats a normal diet and has a normal schedule and says and does normal things? Is that the goal? Or is the goal to know Jesus more and love him more and serve him more? even if some people think you're a kook. The Apostle Paul says, if we're out of our minds, it's for your sake. So, John is this strange fellow, and his message is love, 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 love. That's not his message. He doesn't start off every message with a joke either. His message is repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Things aren't right the way they are. People aren't behaving as they should. Repent. Well, what does that mean? We've discussed it before. The word repent is metanoia. It means a change of mind, literally. A change of mind. Some people passionately insist that it's simply a change in mind, it doesn't necessarily result in changed behavior. They, they preach that, and they get very upset with people like me. They accuse us of preaching a false gospel based on works. Okay? Nothing could be further from the truth. John the Baptist says, repent! And you know, if you look, when Jesus and his disciples went out preaching... You know what the first word of their message was? Repent. You know why? We need to repent. Well, what does that look like? Those who say that repentance can simply be a change of mind without a change in direction, a change in behavior, have it backwards. It is possible to change your behavior without a real change of mind without it being real repentance. It's called conforming to social norms. Kids come to the ranch and they find out, oh boy, you do that here, you get in trouble. So we got we to amend our behavior. And behavior modification can work. It can make you much more pleasant to be around because you know you're supposed to smile, okay? And you're supposed to say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And, and, and you're supposed to do this and not do this. And so you can leave here having learned how to put on the right face and say the right things. And, but let me tell you, if you haven't changed on the inside, that's not repentance. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. It's not just a change of direction. I've said before, if I'm driving down the road and I realize I'm going the wrong way and I keep going that way, I haven't repented. But suppose that I actually was driving down the road, got off, got gas, got back on, going the wrong way. Have I repented? Well, not on purpose. If you change direction without changing your mind, you're going to get off at another exit and go back the other way again. Some people don't do a 180, they do a 360. You understand? They say, oh, you know, praise God, I've got to get saved. 
but they never really trust Christ, they never really yield their lives to him, and they end up right back where they were before. That's not repentance, that's not new life, that's not Christianity, that is religiosity, and it's big business for a lot of people. But I'll tell you something. John the Baptist was calling people to repent. And they came, multitudes of them, and they confessed their sins, and they were baptized by him in the water. What did that look like? They went under the water and back up again. The Jews still call that baptism. The Greek Orthodox dunk you all the way under, even if you are a little baby. Because baptism, in the Greek, involves going all the way under the water and coming out again. They did not understand that Jesus would make this the picture of death, burial, and resurrection. What John was doing was not Christian baptism. Read the book of Acts and see what happened at Ephesus. But this was a foreshadowing of that and people were called to come confess their sins, repenting of the life they'd been living, and yield themselves afresh to God. Folks, you may be listening to this broadcast from miles away from Wares Valley, miles away from East Tennessee, and be shocked to learn that Wares Valley Ranch is helping children from families all across the country, even where you are. That's right, where you are. We've helped children from California to New England states, all across the Southeast, up in the Midwest, all over the U.S. Now, I tell you this because there may be a child in a difficult situation in your community. And if you become aware of a situation, you're welcome to point them to us at wvr.org. It can be a tough conversation with a family member, so please call us if you would like guidance on how to approach them. It could mean the opportunity of a lifetime for a child in crisis. To reach our admissions office, you can call 865 429 To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is So, Pharisees and Sadducees, the two leading religious parties came out to just see what was going on. It doesn't say they came to be baptized, it just says they showed up on the scene. Remember how they used to come and check out Jesus? Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees showed up. The Pharisees were the conservative group who believed that their angels were real, demons were real, the devil was real, there's an afterlife. The Sadducees were the theological liberals who did not believe in angels or demons or the devil or an afterlife. They just believed that we need to uh, live a good life here and now. So, what happens? Well, he said to them, you brood of vipers. That's what he called them. He called them a bunch of snakes, poisonous vipers. Oh, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, as we just emphasized at great length, it's not real repentance. 
if it doesn't show up in a changed life. If your behavior doesn't change, you haven't repented. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't try and comfort yourself with the idea, well, you know, we're the descendants of Abraham. He says, God can raise up descendants for Abraham from these stones. You think because your genealogy goes back to Abraham that somehow you're safe from God's wrath? You're wrong. And these guys should have known it if they had studied the Bible like they had, that there were a whole lot of Jews, a whole lot of descendants of Abraham who got destroyed by the wrath of God because they were not true sons and daughters of Abraham. They did not have Abraham's faith. They did not trust God and obey him. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Not a happy message. But it was God's word. And it is God's word. I baptize you with water for repentance, he said. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. Do you get that? He's talking about Jesus, the one for whom he's preparing the way. And he says, I am not worthy to just carry his sandals. John apparently not only had a sense of his own need for grace, but he had a profound sense of Jesus' perfection. And if we think that somehow Jesus is just our bud, you know, (laughs) yeah, we got a problem. We need to recognize who he is. He is the perfect son of God. He is the exact representation of the Father's glory. And so John is saying, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands. He'll clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus is going to come and be the dividing line in history. Those who are his will be his forever. Those who reject him, those who refuse to bow to him, will end up bowing, but it will be too late. And they will be destroyed by the wrath of God. And John is preaching both sides of that. Jesus came the first time in humility and offered his life as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He took the punishment we deserve so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. But guess what? When he comes again, he's not going to ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. He's coming on a white horse, and he's going to judge the nations. And you want to be ready. If you're trusting in him, nothing, not even death, can destroy you. If you are not trusting in him, you will be destroyed. So, then Jesus came, 
Jesus now shows up on the scene at the Jordan, not to see what's going on, but for the purpose of being baptized by John. And John tries to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. You don't need to be baptized by me. Jesus had never sinned. Why would he need to come and and be a part of a baptism of repentance? I mean, why is this? Jesus says, this is to fulfill all righteousness. And so John says, okay. And when John baptizes him, John sees something that he's never seen before. But it was what God had told him would be the indication of who Jesus is. The Spirit of God descending in bodily form like a dove upon Jesus. And with that dove upon him, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We see in that brief passage, the Father speaking from heaven, the Son who has just identified with those he came to save by receiving baptism, and we see the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, here revealed in one place in the Scriptures. Not the only place, but it's one of the most beautiful. This would be very important in multiple ways, but one of them was for Jesus' sake, because Jesus is about to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he'll be tempted by Satan for 40 days. You and I need to realize that while Jesus is the perfect incarnation of God, What that meant is that Jesus was a sinless human. He got hungry. He got tired. He was tempted. He identified with us not by pretending to be one of us, but by becoming one of us. And so in preparation for what was about to happen, Jesus is given this reassurance. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. John isn't the only one who hears that. Jesus hears that. And in the next chapter, when we look at the temptations, Satan's little hook is going to be over and over. If you are the son of God, do this. If you really are the Son of God, do this. Jesus is the Son of God. And let me tell you something. It's not a spoiler to say he defeats Satan. We need to know that today. We need to know that our Redeemer conquered temptation, sin, death, hell, the grave, Whatever is out there, Jesus is stronger. And we're not putting our trust in, well, he did it, I can do it too. No, he did it, and that is why I'm saved. I'm saved by him. 
Well, so do we need to bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance? Absolutely. But how can that happen? By the grace of God. You come to Him and you confess your sins and you say, Lord, please take control of my life. I want you to be my master, to fill me with your spirit and live your life through me and do with me whatever you will. Send me where you want me to go. Give me the things you want me to say. I want to be yours completely. And you know what? God promises you'll do that. Thanks be to God. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number. 866-41-ABIDE or contact us on the web at wvr.org.